0: In previous episodes, we examined the supernatural events found on the pages of the Old Testament. During the next two episodes, we'll examine the supernatural events during the life of Jesus, God's Son. But before we get to today's episode, I wanna ask for your help. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and make us a regular part of your faith journey, can I ask for your support We we can't make any podcasts, videos, sermons, and books without the continual support of friends like you. Time of Grace is 100% donor funded, meaning it is your gifts that make it possible for us to use television, print, and digital media to share the good news of God's amazing grace. Just click on the link in the episode notes. Thank you for all of your prayers, your encouragement, and your support. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. By my count, there are more than 70 separate supernatural events in the four biographical sketches of Jesus' life and ministry known as the Gospel. Some of these events are recorded in just one of the Gospel accounts and others in two of them. There are also ten supernatural events that show up in three of the Gospels. And there are three events that show up in all four Gospel accounts the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' post-Easter appearance to the eleven disciples. Instead of examining these events purely chronologically, we'll look at them in groups, by the type of supernatural event they were. For example, medical miracles is a group, supernatural events in nature is another group, then there is a group involving even food and beverage. Why don't we start with a group called Supernatural Appearances. In this group we find the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the angels, and the devil. Let's get started. In Luke 1 we meet a priest by the name of Zechariah, who along with the other priests in his group served at the temple. Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go into the temple to burn incense. While he was there, an angel appeared and told him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Zechariah didn't believe the angel. He asked, How can I be sure of this? The angel told him that he wouldn't be able to speak until the baby was born. When Zechariah returned home from his temple service, Elizabeth got pregnant. Nine months later, a baby boy was born. Zechariah was asked for the name of the boy. He wrote on a tablet, John. Immediately, Zechariah could speak once again. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, an angel appeared to her cousin, Mary. The angel's message was, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Tucked inside of these two angelic announcements are two additional supernatural events. Elizabeth, who was beyond the age of having babies, would have a son. And Mary, who was a virgin, would become pregnant and give birth to a baby boy. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was an angel who announced the birth to a group of shepherds out on the hillsides. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Then a great company of angels appeared to proclaim glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. After the birth of Jesus, magi from the east came to worship Jesus. They inquired of King Herod where the promised king could be found, Bethlehem. Herod asked to be informed when they found the child. Secretly, he wanted to kill any potential rival to his throne. After the Magi found Jesus and subsequently returned home a different way, being warned in a dream, an angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt to escape Herod's plot. Let's fast forward 30 years. John, then known as John the Baptist, was out in the desert along the Jordan River calling people to repentance and preparing them for when Jesus would begin his ministry. At the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John, and when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we are told that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. THE DEVIL The devil tempted Jesus with three different challenges. Jesus thwarted the devil's attacks with the very words of God. When the devil gave up and left, heavenly angels came to serve Jesus. From the desert, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, where he spoke in the local synagogue. He revealed himself as the promised Messiah, a prophet, and acknowledged that no prophet was ever accepted in his hometown. This infuriated the people at the synagogue. They drove Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff where they were planning to throw him over. Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So this event wasn't so much a supernatural appearance, but a supernatural disappearance. On one occasion in his three-year ministry, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three of his closest disciples, up onto a mountain to pray. While Jesus was praying, his appearance changed. His face and clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men then appeared, Moses and Elijah, in glorious splendor and they began to talk with Jesus. Peter spoke, and as he did, a cloud appeared and enveloped them all. A voice then came from within the cloud, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. In the final week of Jesus' ministry, Jesus told his disciples and the crowd, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus went on to speak about his impending death. He went on to say, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. It was the voice of the Father. The remaining supernatural appearances in the Gospel accounts occurred on Easter Sunday and during the forty days that followed. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. An angel rolled back the stone that sealed Jesus' tomb. And that angel spoke with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, telling them to relay to the disciples the good news of Jesus' resurrection. On their way back to tell the disciples their news, they encountered Jesus. Mary Magdalene had looked inside the tomb and saw two angels there. There in the garden, she began to cry. A man behind her asked, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? It was the resurrected Jesus. On Easter Sunday afternoon, Jesus appeared with two disciples who were walking on the road to the town of Emmaus. They were initially kept from recognizing Jesus until he revealed himself at the disciples' home. And then Jesus disappeared. That evening, behind locked doors, Jesus suddenly appeared to ten of his disciples, minus Thomas. Later, he would appear to all eleven. On another occasion, Jesus suddenly appeared to seven of his disciples who were out fishing. More on this later. Finally, Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Acts 1 gives us the most detail about Jesus' ascension. Jesus was taken up into the sky until a cloud hid him. Then two angels showed up and stood next to them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. By my count, 20 supernatural appearances of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the heavenly angels, and even the devil. And this doesn't include the events involving demon possession, which is its own category. Let's take a look at when Jesus intersected with the world of the demons, Satan's sinister slaves. Perhaps we should start with the definition of demon possession. It's a term frequently used to translate the Greek word daimonizomai. There are a couple of other Greek words that refer to demon possession, but are translated a bit differently. For example, translated as with an unclean spirit, or having a demon, are essentially the same as demon possession. The term demon possession described a variety of conditions. There were physical, mental, emotional, and psychological conditions which, and this is important, were under the direct influence of one of Satan's demons. I think it's important to recognize that demon possession can mimic normal illnesses that are the result of living in a fallen world. And distinguishing between normal illnesses and demon possession for us isn't always clear but it was certainly clear for Jesus as the Son of God. A common symptom among those demon-possessed in the Bible was the inability to speak or hear or see. Another symptom symptom was seizures that were associated with great suffering. There were times when Jesus healed people who were deaf, dumb, and blind who weren't demon-possessed, yet in other situations they were. There are other occurrences of demon possession that don't mimic normal illnesses in these cases the demon possession mimics severe psychological or physiological disorders demon possession manifested itself in violence in self-harm in excessive strength and social isolation such as living in caves or up in the mountains or out in the desert for example On a visit to the town of Capernaum, a man who was part of the synagogue was demon-possessed. The demon spoke to Jesus, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus ordered the demon to come out of the man, and he did. One of the more descriptive examples of demon possession was when Jesus traveled through the region of Gadara. Gadara was located southeast of the Sea of Galilee on the east side of the Jordan River. From out of the nearby caves two men approached Jesus. These two men were known for being violent. They cried out to Jesus, What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Nearby there was a herd of pigs feeding in the fields. The demons pleaded with Jesus that if He was intending to cast them out of the men, they wanted to be sent into the pigs. Jesus granted them their request, and the pigs rushed down a steep hill into the water below and died. On another occasion, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Jesus cast out the demon, and the men could talk. And then there was another time when people brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who couldn't see or talk. Jesus healed him, too. It was on both of these occasions that the Jewish religious leaders accused Jesus of healing people by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, another name for the devil. One of the more tragic symptoms of demon possession was explained by a man who brought his son to see Jesus. He said, Teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. The man went on to say, It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. The man asked for Jesus' help. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. This was an example of demon possession possibly mimicking epilepsy. These are not the only examples of Jesus dealing with demon possession. The Gospel accounts make reference to Jesus casting out other demons without the specifics mentioned. Casting out demons was a significant aspect of Jesus' ministry along with his preaching, teaching, and other medical miracles. For our next category of supernatural events during Jesus' life and ministry, let's examine those that involved either food or beverages. It's certainly a little less weighty than talking about demon possession. Very early on in his ministry, Jesus and his disciples were invited to a wedding. Jesus' mother was also in attendance, but no mention of Joseph. The wedding was held in the city of Cana, located in Galilee. Cana was about 16 miles straight west of the Sea of Galilee. At the wedding reception, described in John chapter 2, jesus addressed a major social embarrassment jesus mother mary came to him and said son they've run out of wine at first jesus hesitated to get involved telling his mom my my, my time has not yet come but mary just told the servants do whatever he tells you nearby stood six stone jars holding between 20 and 30 gallons each Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water, and after they did, he told them to draw out of the jars and take the water, turned to wine, to the master of the banquet. It was the absolute best wine. This was the first miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. Another day, Jesus was standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Crowds gathered around him. There were two boats on the shore, one of them belonged to a man named Simon. Jesus got into the boat and went out a little way on the lake to teach the people. When Jesus was done, he told Simon to go out into the deep water and let down his nets. Peter was reluctant to go because he had been out all night and hadn't caught anything. But he did what Jesus asked. And just like that, the nets were filled with so many fish that the nets began to break. Peter called to his fishing partners, James and John, to come help get the fish to shore. There, Jesus invited them to be his disciples, and they followed Jesus, leaving their boats behind. By the way, if you've ever watched the first season of The Chosen, the app-based video series on Jesus' life, this scene of the fish conveys the enormity of the miracle. As I mentioned earlier, three supernatural events in the ministry of Jesus are recorded in all four gospel accounts. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. Most Bible scholars put this event past the halfway point of Jesus' ministry, about a year before he went to Jerusalem for his final Passover. There were thousands of people following Jesus at this time. Jesus, in an attempt to find some peace and quiet, as well as to hear the reports of the disciples, who had just returned from a mission trip, went up into the hills near the Sea of Galilee. But the the crowds found Jesus, and so he taught them. As it was getting later in the day, the disciples told Jesus to send the crowds away into the towns and villages to get some supper. But Jesus had a better idea. He told his disciples, you feed them. What? What? That would take eight months' wages to feed all these people, they said. Jesus responded, How many loaves do you have? Five, and two fish. Jesus directed the disciples to have the people sit in groups of hundreds and fifties and start distributing the bread. They did. And when everyone had had enough to eat, the disciples gathered the leftovers of bread and fish, filling twelve baskets. The number of men, we're told, who ate this supernatural meal was 5,000. A similar supernatural event occurred weeks or months later. This time there were seven loaves of bread available and a few small fish. And there were 4,000 men who ate the meal. And when it was over, the disciples collected seven baskets of leftovers. Following Jesus' resurrection, he miraculously appeared at the Sea of Galilee, while seven of his disciples were out fishing. They had been fishing all night, but hadn't caught anything. Jesus called out from the shore and asked if they had any fish. They responded that they didn't. So Jesus, whom the disciples hadn't yet recognized, told them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat, which they did. Their nets were filled with fish. One hundred fifty-three fish, to be exact. John told Peter, It's Jesus on the shore. And so impetuous Peter jumped into the water and swam to shore while the other disciples brought in the boatload of fish. When they arrived, there was a fire over which there were fish being cooked and some bread. Where did breakfast come from? It certainly was a supernatural day. There's one final supernatural event that involved food and beverage that I want to mention. It actually occurred the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room to celebrate the Passover. At the Passover meal, Jesus took some of the unleavened bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to his disciples. And he said, This is my body which is given for you. Then he took the cup of wine, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That night Jesus instituted his supper, the Lord's Supper. We also call it Holy Communion, because in celebrating it we participate in the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We eat the physical bread and drink the fruit of the vine and, in a supernatural way, we receive the body and blood of Jesus. Who would have ever thought that bread and wine could have such significance? The last category of supernatural events that we want to consider in this episode involve things in nature. There are eight of them, and they demonstrate the awesome power of Jesus over nature. The first one is an example of Jesus being able to see what only Jesus could see. As Jesus called his first disciples, he met a man named Philip, who, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, just north of the Sea of Galilee. Philip went and found Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew. He told Nathaniel that he had found the promised prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael's somewhat snarky response was, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They both went to find Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. One day when Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, a sudden storm arose with waves breaking over the side of the boat. And what was Jesus doing? Taking a nap in the boat. The disciples were consumed with fear. They woke Jesus up and asked him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Immediately the wind died down, and the water was calm. A similar event happened right after Jesus had fed the 5,000. He told his disciples to sail to Bethsaida. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills to pray. When evening came, the boat was still in the middle of the lake. The disciples were working the oars because they had a headwind. Later in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them walking on water. When Peter saw him, he asked to walk on the water with him. But the storm caused Peter to doubt, and he began to sink. Jesus rescued him. They both got back into the boat, and when they did, the wind died down. On another occasion, Jesus was asked by the temple tax collectors if he paid the temple tax. To pay the tax, Jesus told Peter to go down to the lake, throw in a line, and open the mouth of the first fish he would catch. Jesus said, There you will find a four drachma coin, enough to pay your tax and mine. During Holy Week, Jesus was hungry as he walked into Jerusalem. He saw a fig tree, walked up to it, and discovered it had no figs. Jesus spoke to the tree, saying, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. This was a planned illustration to his disciples that if they had faith, they would be able to do the same, or even be able to throw a mountain into the sea. The final three supernatural events that we're exploring today all occurred as Jesus breathed his last on Calvary's cross. At his death, the veil in the temple was torn, in two, from top to bottom. A great earthquake shook, and the ground and rocks split. And thirdly, graves broke open, and godly people who had previously died were given a new life. Which all led the Roman centurion, overseeing Jesus' crucifixion, to exclaim, Surely he was the Son of God. Today's episode was part one of two involving the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, we have two groups of supernatural events that we'll dive into in our next episode. One group is a big one. All of the medical miracles that Jesus performed that did not involve demon possession. The second group involves the power to defeat death. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to learn more about the life and ministry of Jesus, go to our Grace Talks videos at timeofgrace.org. You'll find plenty to choose from. Thanks for listening, and God bless.